Hello comrades, welcome to the Perthian Chronicles. My name is Ryan Morano and I'm very happy today because I'm once again joined by local writer, performer, Dore Khan. Today we're chatting about Dore's latest work, Shabbat, a play which takes place on one of the holiest and most special days of the year with a not-so-special family, because I am sure when we see this play, people will be watching a mirror. Dore, thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Ryan. First, can you give us a taste of what happens in Shabbat? I guess the best way to describe this play is that it is a family dramedy. It's part drama, part comedy, because essentially it's about a family. And when things are about a family... There's always a little bit of drama, but what keeps a family together is finding little funny bits about that drama. The play Sharbat is about three sisters, Shazia or Shaz, Badi, Badul, and Rue, Aruj Gul, who um, I guess you could say they're estranged from one another and one day find themselves in this situation where they have to assess their relationship with one another. Coincidentally, on that day of the year, the Muslim festival of Eid al-Azha falls on the same day as Christmas Day, which is in its own way quite special because um, I'm not sure if you know, Ryan, but the Muslim calendar actually is a lunar calendar, wherein the Western calendar is a Gregorian one, which is based on the sun. So for for those two holidays to coincide, it, it happens but it, it happens very rarely when our holidays cross. So it's kind of special in that way as well. Because um, it's, sorry, it's called, because I did a bit of Googling before this. And is it the Festival of Sacrifice? Yes, it? it is. So um, Muslims uh, have several festivals through the year. Eid al-Azha is one of the last ones in the Muslim calendar because it is at the end of Hajj that we have it, which is the pilgrimage, the one of the pillars of Islam. And um, so it's a really special holiday that's spent with family and it's about sacrifice and really it is also about family because um, it comes from the very old Abrahamic story because this is something we share in common with the Jewish faith as well as Christianity. It's the story of Prophet Abraham and how God asked him to sacrifice his son um, and it's about sacrificing something you love and being able to do that for your faith and your belief. Um, and in a way, I guess that plays into Sharbat as well, because we look at the three sisters and what they have sacrificed for something they have loved and how that has impacted their relationship with each other within that family. So um, it's interesting because the eldest sister is actually five years older than the two youngest sisters. There's a huge age gap between them. I think five years is quite a large age gap, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah. I'd say so. I'm, I'm, I'm four with my own sister, so, and I think it's quite a separation. Yes, but the two younger siblings are only like 10 months apart. Wow, that's really close. So, so they're very close. Yeah. So it's interesting how their dynamics work out in the play as well. Um, it's, I like saying that our siblings are the closest thing we have to time travel because um, when we, when we, whenever I have conversations with my siblings, I have two siblings, a brother and a sister. They're both younger than me. I'm the oldest. There's bits of my life that I wouldn't be able to replay or recount without them 
coming in with their stories and their versions of how that happened. And both my siblings now live in Melbourne. And whenever they come for a catch up, we always repeat the same stories. And it becomes this little pantomime in the living room that we do for our parents. And they're like, oh, remember when this happened? This is how it happened. And we're like, no, that's not how it happened. I remember it differently. And it's really quite special what siblings have with one another because no one else was there when you were six or seven, perhaps, um, and didn't remember a particular thing. And they fill in the blanks that we forget about. Um, as our parents get older and they pass on, it is the siblings that remind you certain aspects about a parent. And when you feel like you've really messed up and you don't know where your place is in the world, your siblings do sometimes take that place as the parent that's left or as a reminder of who you were or who, who you will become. So they usually help you find, not always, but usually mm. they help you find who you really are on the inside. So I guess to make it really short and sweet, Sharbat is a play that is about identity. It is a play about family. And it's also like a little bittersweet ode to those dysfunctional sibling relationships we all in- encounter from time to time. Uh, oh, absolutely. That's all. <laughs> uh, that's why when I said, you know, my intro, like watching America's what's that famous saying you can't choose your fat you can choose your friends but you can't choose your family yes it's true it's so true isn't it <laughs> so the play is dealing with family mm. a pinnacle of er- doesn't matter whatever culture like it's an important pillar in anyone's mm. culture so this sounds like this work is quite autobiographical i could be wrong <laughs> but where did this idea come from I don't know how far back I should go with this, but when I was in high school, I had the good fortune of reading a play called The Shifting Heart by Richard Bainan. And for those who aren't familiar with the play, it was set in 1957 and it was about a migrant Italian family and their life living in Australia and how society at that time was quite racially prejudiced against Italian migrants. I just recently moved from Pakistan I would have been 16 years old and my family had uprooted and moved to Perth. And at the time, the shifting heart spoke so deeply to me because I think when you're 16, you're not exactly a young child anymore. You have an awareness of the world around you. Bear in mind, this was 2003 and Australia was involved in the Iraq war. And at the time, the tensions were quite high about like the general population was being fed a certain idea about what it is that Muslims are like. And so a lot of there was a lot of hostility at the time towards Muslim migrants and coming from a Muslim country where, you know, it's just you just take it for granted that you can be be Muslim in whatever way you want to be Muslim. And moving to Australia, where suddenly you have to be a representation. And I remember, you know, my parents saying things such as, remember to behave well in school and be respectful because you represent what it is to be a Pakistani and a Muslim. And that being on your shoulders at such a young age. Well, I was just about to say, it must be such a great burden. I wouldn't say it's so much a burden as it is a restriction. Yeah, because. I mean, there are so many different kinds of Muslims out there and so many different kinds of like depiction, so many different ways to practice Islam that for 
telling a 16 year old that they're now going to be the face of it in their school. And I went to quite a, um, I went to a very lovely public school, but there weren't very many Muslim people in my year. So that being the only Muslim, suddenly people do look at you and ask you lots of questions. Like, oh, first question I'd always get is, how come you don't wear a hijab? And I'm like, well, you know, a lot of Pakistanis don't wear hijabs. We don't really necessarily cover our heads. It's not everybody's, not everybody does that. So answering those questions for, you know, students and teachers alike a lot of your identity gets tied up in that, but it also prevents you from kind of completely understanding what it means to be Australian because it's always that hyphen with your identity. Muslim Australian, Pakistani Australian, never just Australian. I guess it's something different for me because I migrated here. Uh, I guess you could say I'm a naturalized Australian. I moved here, I acquired my citizenship. I, I wasn't born here. I guess this is what sets me apart from the three characters in the play is that they were born in Australia, in Perth specifically. Um, they went to high school here. Their parents were migrants. But even then, there is that little bit of conflict within themselves of like, am I really Australian or am I really, you know, am I, is being Muslim it's something that's going to keep me from being considered truly Australian? What is being really Australian? So a lot of those questions do come up in the play about identity, about what it means to be Australian in this day and age. It's a... Because I'm from an immigrant background and that likes, that's just... So many bells ring for me. Because my mum, she was an immigrant here, you know, um, and my father's parents, they were... I don't know. It's, it's a heavy subject. I'm going to be quite frank with you. But I feel so sorry for you as, as a young child, you know, to go through that i'm curious now right now when you go to see shows or films or stuff it must surely it must be important to see that represent do you know what i mean the representation look as i was saying i don't want anyone to feel sorry for me i've had like a really good i'm very lucky to live here and i also recognize that a lot of us people who settle in australia have settler privilege because my belief is that Australia as a concept, um, it is a colonized land and there's no, apart from our indigenous culture, that is the original culture of Australia. So no other culture can tell me that my culture doesn't belong here because we all came from somewhere to this place. That being said, in the last 10, 15 years, I've seen a real shift in media everywhere whether that's television, whether that's TV series, whether that's movies, books, there's so much more out there thanks to the internet and streaming sites where we're starting to see other cultures represented. And it's really beautiful. I remember the closest thing I had to seeing that when I first moved to Australia was Bend It Like Beckham. <laughs> and we watched that for year 10 English. And there were certain parts, even though I come from a Muslim family and the family in Bended like Beckham was Sikh. I remember thinking, you know, I get what this main character is feeling. I really want to belong somewhere. But I also don't want to have to give up my identity or my, you know, like I don't want to have to give up either of my identities to belong somewhere. And so if that movie was important for me. And now it's so great to see other things come out. I recently watched Black is the New White um, oh, yes, at Black, Black Swan. Swan and even with that 
just watching how this family drama unfolds on stage and I could see my father in the father who was in black as the new white I saw my sister in the the younger sister and it was so lighthearted and wonderful and so important and all I wanted to do was hug Nakia Louie and be like thank you for making this for stage because I saw my family in this family and I think that's so important to have um that no one work belongs to like there are as as we said there are things that you can reflect on and look at and be like we have this in common as human beings we have this in common and i think that opens the opens the doors to dialogue especially when muslims all over the world do have a very hard time where there most of the times we're just trying to prove that we're human beings and that within our own faith there's so many interpretations but there's no such thing as a good muslim or a bad muslim there's like a spectrum one person can be a good and a bad muslim in the same day and that at the end of the day it comes down to good people and bad people um and even that's too simple like a person can simultaneously be good and bad within that same day so i don't know what i'm trying to get at i think there's a lot of complexity to human yeah. beings and hopefully like having more representation means we see a whole gamut of what it means to be from a particular place um even within being muslim there's so many ways you can practice your islam and that people will be able to see that and not go hey so if you're really muslim why aren't you wearing a headscarf if you're really muslim how come you do this and not that having your identity questioned constantly does have a really heavy impact on your mental health and it stops you from being authentically yourself And if it's one thing that my parents have taught me about Islam is that God wants you to be your authentic self. Mm. Um if you're going to practice anything, do it authentically, don't do it because someone expects you to do it because that's not there's no point in that. Then it's just a charade. So by having more representation in plays of characters and that doesn't come down to just having one muslim play a year or every 5 years that means that muslim writers are out there and they're writing characters and it doesn't become about islam it becomes about just characters who happen to be muslim the one fear i had about this play is that it would be build the muslim play i don't want that this is not the muslim play this is just one of hopefully many many pieces of art that comes out of australia about being muslim in australian society and that we have our own cultures within islam within australia within our own families in sharbat there are three sisters and each of them has a very different relationship with islam and they're three very different women even though they grew up in the same family with the same upbringing so i really wanted people to have a little think of that about the sisters. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to know which of the three sisters is most like you. Oh gosh, this is such <laughs> a difficult question. We're currently in rehearsals and I'm playing the eldest sister, Shazia, and she's an Instagram influencer. 
She's been signed up to a number of different companies where she does product placement photos. And, you know, we are living in influencer culture at the moment, as I'm sure you're aware. Absolutely. And they're like the new mini celebrities. And sometimes playing Shazia is so hard, or Shaz, as she's known. Shaz. (laughs) Which is great. It's so hard playing her because she's so wildly different to me. She's confident. She's just got this innate sense of, like, self-worth where she's like, oh, I'm so pretty, or just super confident, sometimes appears to be shallow. Then you've got middle child Rue, who's um, a little bit... She's a bit anxious, very politically conscious. She's the dreamer, the writer, the thinker. And youngest child, Batty, who's this punk Muslim person who's just, she's just an anachronism in her own way, in her own sweet way. And when my uh, co-actors, like my collaborators and I, we were rehearsing, Sometimes I wish I was playing their characters and not mine because I so closely associate Batty with who I was when I was 19 years old and straight out of high school and doing a philosophy and law degree, showing up to law classes where everyone's neatly dressed up and I'm showing up in a Marilyn Manson t-shirt and with all these piercings, much to my parents' disgust. My mom still makes fun of my goth phase. Mom, if you're listening to this, I'm very sorry about that phase. Um, And then like they're the middle child with the writing and the dreaming and the love of old things. I see myself in her too, because I do love collecting old things. I wrote the first draft of Sherbet on a typewriter because I get very distracted by the internet. Um, And just being very politically conscious and aware of what the world is and what the world's going through at the moment and being very hurt by how everything is proceeding. I can see see bits of ruin myself as well, but then... Sometimes I wonder I'm so, whether like I'm so immersed in creating Shazia for stage that I don't see the commonalities we have. And it's funny because one of the actors, Sabrina Hafid, she mentioned to me, she's like, you do that very well. Somehow you manage to get that sassiness really well in Shaz. I'm like, really? I didn't even know I was doing that. So maybe there is some truth to me being like Shaz. Um I think I'm a little bit of all of them, to be honest with you. Yeah, an amalgamation. An amalgamation, like the trinity. Does working, so you're working with um, Manny Mae Gomez um, and Sabrina Hafid. Is it like you're, because there's a part of me reading this material autobiographical, but do you have, have you forming, I know it's early days, but are you starting to see this, oh, we're, we're quite similar outside of the rehearsal space Oh my goodness. (laughs) It's really interesting because um, the last few days we've been rehearsing the scenes between Batty, the youngest, played by Manny Mae Gomez, and Shazia, the oldest, which is me. Um, And we've been rehearsing our scenes and the, the youngest, Batty, does not like Shaz at all. And it's quite interesting um, watching that play out. And sometimes I even forget, like, that we are acting because Manny is such an amazing actor that when we leave the room, we have to tell each other, by the way, we love each other. We are not those people we left behind in the rehearsal room. Um, It's really, really interesting watching these characters come to life in the rehearsal space and seeing parts of myself being played 
by these actors. Like, as I mentioned earlier, like, I am not any of these characters, but bits of me, because I'm a writer, you do infuse a bit of fact into fiction. So seeing Manny play Batty, bring them to life from a text, from page to stage, as they say, with such enthusiasm and so vividly that I had seen them in my mind when I was writing them, it's just a testament to how great an actor they are and how wonderful Michelle Aitken is at directing and bringing and teasing those characters out of this text. In real life, it does feel like we're siblings. Um, I'm probably the shortest of the three siblings. I think they got the height. But watching the relationship between Manny and Sabrina, it's almost like, you know, they talk to each other on Facebook and send each other cute little messages. And I'm like, it's it's so nice to see that, that little friendship that's blossomed. So yeah, it's starting to feel like a family. I feel like we're a real family. And that means the whole team. Speaking about family, Mm. speaking about family, while rehearsing this play, have your thoughts on family changed? Oh, look. Is it is there such a thing as a normal family? Oh, goodness, no. What is normal? Define normal. What is a normal family? I think it's really interesting because I have a lot of vested interest in um in 1950s culture, it really Americana, Australiana. And this image of this family of five, like the mom, the dad, and the three kids, and the dog, the white picket fence, was an idea that was sold after World War II to give the world some kind of semblance of normalcy after this horrible war that had happened. And they pushed that image and pushed that image in sitcoms and television shows on cereal boxes and advertising that we've duped ourselves into thinking that that's what a family should be. That's what we should aspire to. And to be honest with you, I think a normal family is any family that makes you feel normal. Any family that makes you feel like you belong in a space and that you can be your most authentic self, that is normal. If there is a situation where you're constraining who you are and pretending to be someone else just so you can be loved, I wouldn't say that's not a normal family, but I wouldn't say that's a very healthy family. So I think the more we talk about families being healthy families, it would be better for society. We talk about, is this a healthy family? Are they making efforts to getting into healthy relationships with one another? One that's fostered, like one that fosters respect that's mutual and support and love. And I think that's what a normal, and I'm putting this in air quotes, a normal family is. A healthy family where you feel safe to be yourself. So going through the process of creating the family in Sharbat, I guess one of the things I had in mind was to show, like, you know, as we grow up, our relationships with our siblings change. You go from being in each other's hair all the time. Mom, he's pulling my hair. Mom, she hit me. And all this yelling around the house and fighting. And like, I hope I never see you again, slamming things into... You know, I have a really funny story that my siblings are going to love me telling. When I was little, my siblings did something to piss me off. And they do a lot of those things. So I locked them outside the house with a sign on them that said, Siblings for sale. (laughs) And they have never let me live that down. But now that they live in Melbourne, I miss them every single day. So much so that we have a little WhatsApp chat where I send them memes and we check in with each other. And I miss them so, so very much. And it's funny because when we were younger and I put them out for sale on the yard, um, my parents would say, you know, you'll regret this one day. You'll miss them when they're too busy and have families of their own. And I didn't know what they were talking about. 
I was like, oh, I'm never going to miss them. I'll be glad when they're gone. And now that they live so far away, I really do miss them every day because sometimes you want to talk about something that only they'll get because they've been there since well, the beginning. When Sherbat happened, I did talk to them about the idea and they were very supportive. I recently finished a Bachelor of Criminology and Justice at Edith Cowan um, last year and I said, hey, I'm thinking of maybe putting off going into my field of work. Instead, I'd like to try something in theatre, have this idea for a play. And what do you think? And you know what? I haven't had a louder cheer squad. If that's what makes you happy, do it. Do what you love. Do what you're passionate about. Because, you know, as the young kids say, YOLO. You only have one life, whatever it is. (laughs) You only live once. once. That one. (laughs) That one. See, I'm old. Don't mind me. I'm not jiggy with it. Is that even a thing? Um, But it's really important, I guess, recognize that sibling relationships do change over time. And um, sometimes you really do look back fondly at those memories where maybe it was inconvenience having them around at some point or somebody who's going to follow you around and want to dress like you and want to take you things. But that's because we're learning to be individuals at that age. And now you just really want to be around those people now that you've grown up and become your own person. You want somebody to, I guess, remember who you were when you were younger. So it's really changed my idea, yes, about what families are and about what sibling relationships are like and how they morph over time. Families are beautiful units amazing and it sounds like your family is a great supportive unit um group of people but the group of people you've gathered to to produce this oh work, my theater family let, let me, your theater fa- producer amelia burke director michelle aitken uh stage manager daily james king marketing and publicity madeline um, cluston how did you gather such a team I want to say God's hand, but I think that sounds so, so very um, cheesy. But look, it, when I first pitched the idea for the, 20, uh, the 2019 season development to the Blue Room, I didn't really have a full team. All I had was part of a script that I had finished three days prior to the, um, the application closing and a dream that this could come to, to fruition. At the time, I was like, you know, I'll, I'll source people, but I was really scared because I haven't studied drama or performing arts. I don't really, I haven't really made a work in a very long time. The last work that I did was a 2015 show at the Blue Room called Once We Were Kings, and most of my collaborators from that had moved away. So it was really long and short was really attending events helped me meet these people whether that was by you know by desire or design somehow it came to be um i met uh, my producer amelia burke because um she was working on another wonderful play a musical um called miss australia Mm. and i remember it was a a vintage sort of like a, a period play and I'd offered to help with hair and styling and I met Amelia who was their producer and I was just taken by how she was so switched on and so organized and so very calm 
And even when things were going wrong, she just had everything so meticulously planned and she was just had such a soothing personality that I'm like, I want to work with this person. So I sent her an email and crossed my fingers and I was like really happy when she came on board as my producer. Michelle Aitken and Daily King, I met through Emerging Writers Group from Black Swan. Um, I'm very fortunate that um, when I put in my application for that, I got accepted into this wonderful group that also includes Zach James, who you interviewed recently, and also um, Sam the Reader. And Daily and I, um, we just clicked the moment we met. They completely understand how my brain works. Um, down to the point as a stage manager um, and for those playing at home, they have a very important role in keeping the whole team together, organized. They're responsible for rehearsal timetables, bump in, bump out. So basically they're overseeing things that happen on stage. They manage the stage. That's what they do. And to have somebody who has control of the room, but in a very gentle way, Daly is my gentle giant and they are very, very good at keeping everyone on schedule, on time, and also very calm. And I'm just so fortunate to have them on the team as well. Madeline is just an ace at basically everything having to do with um, so like marketing and media. I haven't even had a chance to think about that stuff because I'm like elbow deep in rehearsals. And I, you know what? I don't even have to worry because I know that working from her desk, Maddie has it under control and... They had a sold out season for Miss Australia because she was involved with that as well. And I'm like, you know what? It's in good hands. It's in good hands. Michelle, like to come on board because I was originally directing this, but then directing, acting, all of the things, perhaps not the best move for someone as green as me (laughs) to trust somebody to come into a space, to give them your work and to say, do what you want with it. I'm not the kind of person who does that. My family are probably sitting there going, what, you trust people now? This is a new development. I'm very possessive of my work, like any writer is. But the moment I met Michelle, for that few moments at Emerging Writers Group, I'm like, this is a mind that is so brilliant, so switched on, and so very considerate that I can't imagine anyone else directing this in my place. And so when the opportunity came to pass the baton to Michelle, I didn't just pass it, I shoved it in her hands. And Michelle, this is yours now. Goodbye. Do with it as you wish. And to which she was a bit stunned because she's like, well, I don't know whether I'll do this justice because I'm not Muslim myself. Are you comfortable with this? And let's just say that she's done everything in such a considerate way, asked all the right questions asked for input from myself and Sabrina, we both identify as Muslim, everything's done so respectfully that I couldn't imagine anyone else directing this piece now. And just the antics and the exercises that we do, it's so much fun working with Michelle. And I'm so lucky and privileged to work with somebody. And as you know, she has such a larger repertoire of amazing works. Mm -hmm. She produced um, a couple of different pieces this year, including critically acclaimed Unrule, which was about um, bodily autonomy and women's bodies. Yeah. And I just, when I watched that Future show... Eve, she does yes. a lot of work with Joe Louie and Renegade Productions. Yeah. Just amazing stuff. And her little show, um, she worked as part of a collaborative work for um, Pika recently that I saw, Hello Goodbye, um, as part of an ensemble. And I was just taken away. And I'm like, I'm so lucky to have her and bring that fresh perspective into the room. 
Gosh, I just really lucked out with mm. this team. I feel like I'm the weak elf and since I'm the weakest link here, guys. No, I'm but it's, I, it's, so. I know, I know, I know. But it's just, you've, I'm humbled. But I think for the young, well, people who are getting into this theatre game or show business, what you did was you networked, you went to events and shows and you weren't afraid to talk to people. And that's very important because the thing is... Um, Ryan, that a lot of people who are culturally and linguistically diverse, people from migrant backgrounds, particularly from backgrounds like mine, uh, Pakistani people, Desi people, we tend not to veer towards the arts a lot because there's this old culture before us that's like, you know, you have to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, an accountant. And not to say that this is some, some shortfall on the on the behalf of our parents, I don't think that at all. I think our parents want us to be safe and happy. And because they came from a time where, you know, acting and writing and directing was perhaps not something that was going to help you make a living. I mean, even to this day, it's very hard being an artist. They just wanted to make it easy for us. And so some of us may not have grown up in families where we had seen somebody else do this and we didn't have someone to direct us to go and pursue these particular careers and fields so when some of us come to the game we come underprepared and quite late (laughs) which has been the story of my life Um, and so it's really hard because when you go to WAPA or you go to NIDA or you go to wherever you're going to with the performing arts degree one of the things you do get to learn is um, how to meet people you go to mixers you study with a batch of people who later on become your collaborators and so sometimes it can feel you're on the outside that you're you're the stranger you're the new kid on the block and no one wants to sit with you at lunch but you know what sometimes you just have to swallow all that and go in there to those events go see a blue room show if you're thinking of writing or submitting something don't sell yourself short don't go this is a silly idea or who am i just you know go to a blue room show stick around afterwards really good to go to opening night shows stick around and then have a chat with people there some of those people are also artists ask people hi i'm so and so go with a hello i'm so and so what did you think of the show or what did you think of this or, you know, if you go on particular nights, they have Q&As. You should definitely go to those nights. We're going to have one too. Pop in, ask those questions, you know, what made you write this? How can I do this? So that's probably the best way you can get into it is going to shows, meeting these people. And don't be afraid to flick an email. Take a business card with you. It can just be a piece of cardboard with your name on it. Mm-hmm. That's how I coincidentally got to meet Joe Louis once. I gave him a piece of cardboard with my name on it i'm like this is my email address one day i'd like to talk to you i mean i never emailed him but it was um it's a way that you can actually interact with people send them that email be like hi i don't know if you remember we had this chat i would love to grab a coffee do that take risks everything in life that is worthwhile comes at a very big risk obviously take calculated risks i'm not saying maybe like I don't know, sail off to the coast of France and be like, I'm now going to make French Nouveau films and I don't speak French. But you get what I'm saying. Mm. It takes risk. It takes guts. And I'd say courage. Yeah. Courage is a really big one. And confidence. And knowing that you you are very good at telling stories. Like, don't underwrite yourself. Don't go, I'm not good at this. Just do as I say, not as I do. Go in there with confidence, introduce yourself, ask people to coffee. The worst that can happen is they'll tell you, no, I'm busy. 
and then you can approach them again in another three months. I'd like to get you that coffee. Let's chat. And if you do come and see any of us at Sharpath, we'd love to have a chat with you about this. I'm very new to all this. I'm still working my way around, but maybe there's something that I can tell you that you could do or point you in the right direction if I don't have answers. So don't be a stranger. Don't be a stranger. And you, you've, you heard it here, folks. Don't be a stranger because I have to say Shabbat has a very exclusive run from the 24th of October to the 2nd of November. Eight shows only, guys. If we had any more shows, the three sisters would probably kill each other. <laughs> so visit the Bloom Theatre website for tickets. Dore, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I'll see you all at Shabbat. See you, guys. Bye.